pillow fight. My waifish form will protect you. Your safe word is banana. I learned it from Mary Crawley. Welcome to the Palm Court. I'm Kelly Annika. And I'm Tom Schneider. Let's go shopping! <laughs> I can't believe you're all standing for this. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't all risen up as one. <laughs> to demand that the spirit of Mabel Normand be excommunicated <laughs> from this podcast and Selfridges itself. Well... Uh, you know, people, people loved her at the time. They apparently still can't get yeah, enough. Yeah, she just, she had, the, you know, she was an it girl. <laughs> she was. What can you say? She, and that was the thing. It was like, you know, what's really great is when people talk like a screaming baby. <laughs> That's a new, uh, like game show on NBC this fall. <laughs> talk like a screaming baby. With special guests, Ryan Seacrest, Ellen Pompeo, and... This angry baby. Yes. Thank you. I was running. I was like, ah, rule of three is I got nothing. But you figured it out. Yeah. Yes. You really are my better half. <laughs> Welcome back, customers. It is time once again for a recap of Mr. Selfridge. This time, episode six? six. Pretty sure it's six. There's so much TV on right now. <laughs> I don't know which way is up. I really don't. I just, I'm just, I feel like I'm just, you know, hour-long prestige drama to hour-long <laughs> prestige drama. It's true. Although we have to say, we honestly think that uh, currently PBS's Sunday night lineup mm -hmm. kicks the ass of HBO's Sunday night lineup. Yeah, and HBO's is good. We, we like it a lot. Yeah, but between, I mean... Okay, they've got, they have Mr. Selfridge. Right. They've got Call the Midwife. Right. And they've got Wolf Hall. Yeah. Like, which one of those are you going to kick out of bed? Right. Because with HBO, they've got Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. they've got Silicon Valley, and they've got Veep. Right. Clearly, you're going to kick Silicon Valley out of bed. Yeah. Like, that's not even a, like, it's cute or whatever. Yeah. You know? Like, it's got, yeah, it's got good lines, but not good stories. It's like, it's the kind of thing where you're like, well, I'm already at the fair, so I guess I have to have a corn dog. <laughs> like, you would never deliberately go to the carnival just to get a corn dog. And if you would, you've got a lot of problems that we can't even get into right now. Right. But we've already paid the admission with our HBO subscription. So we might as well watch it. Plus, I really like that Jared guy. Yes. He reminds me of me. <laughs> Anyway, so PBS, well done. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that you totally ignore us on social media, <laughs> whatever. Donate to PBS. Tell them to listen to our podcast. <laughs> Unless it's going to cause some sort of fair use problem. Right. <laughs> tell them to listen to our podcast, but like, be cool. Yeah. Like, don't, <laughs> you know, don't tell your boss. <laughs> I do like, th what if there are like PBS employees who like listen to this? <laughs> and it's like a super secret cabal. <laughs> I mean, Cabal's overstating it. Like, maybe yeah. they have, like, a Slack channel or something. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's time for a Ellen Love letter. Yeah. This time from cousin slash customer Joshua. Dear Tom and Kelly, my wife and I accidentally skipped Mr. Selfridge episode four. We don't watch it live, and somehow in our crazy life, we didn't realize we hadn't watched it the week before. As always, the next day, I was chomping at the bit to hear what you guys had to say. That's when I realized I had missed a show. Before listening, I thought to myself, well, it couldn't have been that great of an episode because we didn't suspect a thing. Lo and behold, your recap and opinion of this episode were lower than Violette's standards. <laughs> 
If it hadn't been for you, I would have gone back and watched it. Thank you for saving 46 precious minutes of my life. (laughs) P.S. I'm going to find it hard to watch Downton now after seeing how Mr. Selfridge portrays soldiers post-World War I, when the only thing the war changed for the Crawleys was the color of the tie you wore to dinner. Mm -hmm. Your cousin, Joshua. Uh, well, thank you very much for writing in, Joshua. Yeah, we're glad to provide uh, the helpful service <laughs> of saving people from episodes they otherwise shouldn't watch. Yeah. And I want to say, didn't that happen, uh, the first series of Mr. Selfers that we covered? Like, yeah. we skipped an episode. I'm pretty sure we did, And yeah. also similarly had no idea. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, this, you know, basically only like four things ever really happened on Mr. Selfridge, you know? Yeah. Like, Harry starts banging some floozy. <laughs> right. Uh, there's a promotion at the store. Yeah. Well, in season one, I think was more formulaic, too. Like, it was, here's this thing at the store this week. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah, it was. It was very, like, it was very, like, CSI Selfridges. <laughs> the S stands for Selfridge. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, definitely feel free at any point to use us as a substitute for actually watching the thing. Yeah. Especially if it's Titanic Blood and Steel. Right. Because we, listen, we don't know who you are or when you got here. <laughs> don't watch it. Like right. if you want to listen to our stuff, our stuff is funny. Yeah. But that show just, we're, uh, if yeah. I, uh, that's one of my biggest regrets. I know. Is forcing anybody to watch that show yeah i know we didn't force I mean, anybody but like encouraging yeah. i would say too watch you know 15 20 minutes of it so you can understand oh, what we're yeah. talking about That's about the blue point. and well, everything like the first like five episodes weren't that bad yeah they had davos seaworth in them <laughs> they had their moments yes <laughs> all right enough of dwelling in the blue <laughs> let us dive back into the world of selfridge and co yeah uh, so we open with Fat Thomas gazing past some blowing curtains. Again, smoking hot still. Yeah. Just, it's unsettling almost. Yeah. Like, did, they start, did they start using a different filter on him? <laughs> I don't know. Are they using Hefe? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they... I don't know this movie magic, Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You're a software developer. <laughs> the only magic you know is comprised of ones and zeros. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not that magic. I know. It's pretty boring. Yeah. It's quite pedestrian. And also the last thing we saw Fat Thomas doing was being arrested. So I was like, wow, that is a fancy jail he's mm-hmm. in there. I know. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> uh, we also see Violette gazing over her tea at breakfast at home. And Fraser tells Harry that Perkis is calling. So he gives Violette a look and goes up and uh, answers the phone in the front hall. Violette comes out as he finishes the conversation and he turns. I like this because he obviously was not expecting for her to be there. And Jeremy Piven fucking nails it. Yeah. Because he like turns around. He's like, ah, (laughs) yeah, that's a Beatrice move. (laughs) Never do that again. He tells Violette that the uh, police won't be pressing charges, but they said that she was in a compromising situation. Violette says that she didn't do anything, which is not entirely true. Yeah, she did do at least something. Yeah, and she wanted to do everything. Pop was just the tip. (laughs) I learned it from Mary Crawley. (laughs) (laughs) Fat Thomas is lucky to be alive. Harry tells Violette that she can't leave the house or talk on the phone, and he's just glad that Rose isn't here to witness her shame. And I was reminded here, I'm like, oh yeah, women were property. Like, yeah. she's way too old to be grounded. Yeah. But he's grounding her. He is. It's absurd. Well, he's the head of the household, which she cannot leave except by marrying a man. Ugh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> Said the person who definitely married a man to leave her own household. <laughs> At Caliano's, Duke and his band are heading out. Uh, I assume they went back to get their equipment, or were they just there all night? Like, uh... So, should we keep playing? 
It's not the fucking Titanic Duke. <laughs> also, I think they could have tried to come up with a more creative name than Duke. Uh, well, I would say you could say that, but on the other hand, you know, you have to figure all the jazz bands trying to get hired in London knew yeah. that they needed, you know, American jazz names. Exactly. So, yeah. all right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Duke says that it was fun while it lasted. Haircut wants to know from Fat Thomas if they'll reopen. Fat Thomas says he just needs a bit of time. And I'm like, and hopefully some common sense about right. what operating around the shifty edges <laughs> of society entails. Yeah. Haircut could have told you. Yeah. She seems pretty with it. Yeah. Look, if you're running a nightclub, you're essentially running an illegal operation. I mean, that's always been true. I know. That's like, why you can't keep a comedy show going in this goddamn city. <laughs> because you get something good going, and then all of a sudden, the rickety wooden syndicate <laughs> that runs it decides it's going belly up. Yeah. Somebody doesn't bribe the liquor control board for right? one week, and then all of a sudden, it's a whole thing. Ugh. Yeah. Amateurs, <laughs> said the person who's never run any kind of illegal operation. <laughs> But if you'd like to learn more about running an illegal operation, tune in for the Family Meeting, the oh, Peaky Blinders podcast. That's a really solid point. Yes. Coming to you probably in June? Yeah, about then. June-ish? Uh, let's, well, we've got five more weeks of this counting today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, June-ish. Yeah, June-ish. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I'm so excited about yeah. that. All the <laughs> Killian Murphy. Mm. <gasps> Eyelashes for days. I know. <laughs> that's what we should have called it. Eyelashes for days, a Peaky Blinders podcast. I think it would have been directly contraindicated, though, by our goal to attract the straight white male demographic right. with all of their disposable cash. Yeah. We don't even charge people for this. I don't know why we're so concerned. Yeah, you never know. Someday, like, an advert stamps.com might call. <laughs> why, yes, we've used your product for months. Uh, you know what? I actually have used stamps.com. I'm willing to endorse it at any time. Just... <laughs> Phone's always open. So, folks, handwrite a letter. <laughs> Print out some postage. Uh, and tell Stamps.com to get behind this podcast. At Selfridges, the lights come on. Uh, Nunu Gordon walks past a display for Coty. Which I think still exists. It does still exist. I checked. Oh, great. Yeah. One of us actually checked something. <laughs> right. Boy, everything's coming up roses this week, customers. Do you remember any of the actors' names? Uh, Amy Beth... Baker, battalion, (laughs) the bloody, bloody battalion of Amy Beth, Amy Beth. God damn it. They're all doing such a great job. Sorry. I shouldn't have even said anything. No, now I'm just going to self castigate the entire time. I know. Listen, Kelly, we looked up Cody. It still exists. (sighs) Okay. It's like soap and stuff. Yeah, it is like soap and stuff. (laughs) That's like the Google, like what it fills in. (laughs) Cody, like soap and stuff. Did you mean soap and stuff? (laughs) Soap and stuff. That would be a great name for a store. It would be. I have experience in that arena. Mm-hmm. We could do it. <laughs> Look out, Crabtree and Evelyn. We're coming for you. We're not. Yeah, I think that's definitely a different... I've got a lot of other things going on. Yeah, and that's a different market segment, I think, is going to shop at soaps and stuff than mm-hmm. does at Crabtree and Evelyn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, self- er, Nunu Gordon walks around introducing himself to the air as the deputy manager of Selfridges and saying, you know, good morning, madam. I'm deputy manager. And then Crab comes up behind him and says, good morning to you, too, Mr. Gordon. It and seems to me that the first rule of deputy manager should be don't constantly introduce yourself as deputy manager. He's He's got a lot of learning to do. Uh, this idiot. Yep. Back at Grove House, uh, Mr. Grove is complaining to Doris Classic that Nunu Gordon is barely out of short trousers and he'll have to take orders from him. 
Doris Classic says that he's barely touched his eggs. Mr. Gross says that he feels sick. Uh, Doris Classic also feels sick as she looks out the window and sees baby daddy as Mr. Grove wonders justifiably why Harry even asked him to apply. Yeah. Well, I think he did actually, like, because Gordon had told him he didn't want the job. Well, right. But. Or do you mean before that? Well, I mean, it's just, look, Grove is right to be upset at this point because he doesn't know that Nunu Gordon took himself out of the running. You yeah. know, that whole thing happened without Grove's knowledge. Well, so but I mean, for him at to- the same time though, Harry did not ever have any intention of hiring anybody but Gordon. Exactly. So. So, I mean, he's a jerk either way. Yeah. But also, come on, Mr. Grove. You've worked for this jerk for so long. Come on. This is exactly the type jerk thing that he would do. Yeah. So don't be fucking stupid about it is well, what I'm saying. No. Doris Classic says that Mr. Grove is still Harry's right-hand man. And Mr. Grove says he does all the work and gets none of the recognition, which I don't think is true in the least. I agree. I think Mr. Crab does all the work and gets none <laughs> of the recognition. Doris Classic suggests that they just be grateful for what they've got. And I agree because their house is dope. Yeah. It's one of the nicest, like, middle-class houses we've seen on this show. Yeah, that's true. It is clean and sunny. Mr. Grove ignores that to tell Shame Baby that he won't be helping New New Gordon. Uh, and Shame Baby is like, you're not my dad! <laughs> that's just his subtext the entire time. <laughs> Mr. Grove kisses Doris Classic and leaves. Doris Classic watches him head out and sees Baby Daddy walking toward the door. Uh, she looks at Shame Baby as if Shame Baby would just throw Shame Baby at the problem. <laughs> or like to blame him. Shame Baby's like, yeah, I gave him a call. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, baby daddy then hesitates and walks away. I'm like, baby daddy, what are you even doing? Yeah. You're not being helpful. No. Like, be an adult. Yeah. Grow up. You knew what this was. Yeah. Her husband was at war. There was a 50-50 chance that he was going to not come back. Right. And guess what? He came back. Yeah. So, so fucking take the shame, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, move on. Father a legitimate child and heir and uh, move on with your life. Ugh, people are so stupid. No. Especially in fiction. Uh, at Selfridges, which all throughout the establishing shots at Selfridges are from a new angle, which I, uh, kind of, I kind of liked it. It's like from, you've kind of got, it's like around, shooting around the corner almost, and you get to see the whole facade of the store. I liked it. Yeah. We see Kitty looking at her display, and she calls Bobbin over and asks if Bobbin moved the tortoise shell rouge cases. Uh, Bobbin says that she did not. However, I never do anything. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but they are missing, along with some eyeshadow. Kitty looks over at fake Doris and asks if she's been messing with her counter. And fat Doris says, I would never be so bold. You mean fake Doris? Yes, yeah. Fat Thomas, fake Doris. Uh, let's call the whole thing. Yeah. Which also starts with F. <laughs> yeah. So fake Doris says that she would never be so bold. Which is hilarious. Yeah. We should give more credit to that actress that plays yeah. fake Doris because she really nails her line reading. She does. And it's interesting to me how, like, her Welsh accent, like, is a little bit, like, a little bit stronger at times than others. Mm-hmm. Like, that line, it came through a little bit stronger yeah. because she was speaking a little more emotionally. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Kitty asks Bobbin again, and Bobbin says that she knows better than to interfere with K- Kitty's work. I mean, I assume that she has been taught a sharp lesson at some point. Your first lesson, working in beauty. Don't mess with my work. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know what will happen. <laughs> Kitty says that they have a thief, and then looks at fake Doris, who says not to look at her, because what, fake Doris is not... 
she is look she's boning the boss's son yeah like she doesn't need to steal yeah and if she's gonna steal she's not gonna steal off the top of display case can you even imagine when mr selfridge finds out about this he's like son i've waited for this day time to open your first expense account for a floozy Uh, anyway, Fake Dora says that the thief has also taken a tawny boater from I them. love the phrase tawny boater. <laughs> it might be the new cellar door. <laughs> no, it's it's nice. Mr. Grove and Nunu Gordon get on the elevator. Uh, it's awkward. Mm-hmm. Nunu Gordon says that he knows Mr. Grove was the natural candidate, uh, which Nunu Gordon, maybe don't even discuss this. Yeah. Like, this is not the time. Yeah. Like, do the job well for a bit and then be like, hey... Uh, yeah, but it's going to be awkward regardless. Mr. Grove says, you're a selfridge. There's no more natural a choice. Uh, Nunu Gordon thanks Mr. Grove for being magnanimous. Yeah, and it was in a reverse shot, so we see the inside of the elevator doors, which I can't think that we ever have I think before. we have. All right. I'm remembering, like, really early on when it would have been, like, Blankensop and Crab, mm-hmm. you know, the, the original Fab Four. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, could be. Anyway, uh, also, that's very not magnanimous, but I know Gordon's just trying to, like, smooth it over or whatever. (laughs) Mr. Gross says he's content to be a shoulder to lean on. The doors open upon Kitty and Fake Doris arguing with each other. Fake Doris walks up and tells Nunu Gordon that she's being accused of being a thief as Kitty tries to tell her side. Nunu Gordon tries to calm them down and looks back at Grove, who does nothing as the doors close, and then smiles. Like, why did you even get on that elevator? Well, he was planning to get off, but then he saw he could, you know, stick Gordon with this argument. (laughs) He was like, well... Seems like a deputy manager problem to me. Bye! <laughs> Kitty and fake Doris keep arguing. Nunu Gordon finally tells them to be quiet, uh, more forcefully than you'd expect. Yeah. Miss Martle walks up and says that fashion has been robbed as well. Nunu Gordon asks each of them what was stolen. Martle is missing a burnt sienna dress. Nunu Gordon says that everything stolen was brown. And Miss <laughs> Martle and Kitty both disagree vehemently. <laughs> yes. Which is one of my favorite things ever. As a big fan of the burnt sienna Crayola crayon. <laughs> yeah. Finally, some vindication. Yeah. No, and it's like she's just like, she's not even trying to be contrary. She's just like, I wouldn't call it brown. Yeah. Anyway, Nunu Sherlock thinks he's cracked the case. <laughs> he heads off, and fake Doris and Kitty continue to argue. Yeah. So you haven't actually solved the problem at hand, which was all of the women pulling a pat more. <laughs> they really are. Kitty's like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and fake Doris is, however you do that in Welsh. Yeah. And Bobbin's just watching with her mouth open. Yeah. That's pretty much all she does. Yeah. Bobbin's so dumb. <laughs> In the lair, which we can once again, I think, call the yeah, Henri Leclerc Memorial Lair. Yeah. We could not say that, apparently. Right. Henri Leclerc Memorial Lair. Yeah. The rain in Spain <laughs> stays mainly on the plane. <laughs> Great. Yes. So the HLML, and it's Gary Oldman again. <gasps> Gary Oldman's back. Hooray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He needs another undead bride now that <laughs> Violet's apparently removed herself from the running. Yeah. She's like, well, you're not really slumming, are you? <laughs> Nunu Gordon had not expected Gary Oldman until that afternoon, but Gary Oldman says that he got there and he didn't want to waste any time getting started. Nunu Gordon suggests that perhaps he might want to mention when he's going to take people's stuff so that they don't have any unnecessary excitement. They, didn't they also have this issue with Monsieur Leclerc at one point? I think you're right. I think Miss yeah. Martle was the one who was upset yeah. when he was taking her stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also, come on, Gordon, fuck off. Tell this guy that he needs to make sure that they know, because when they do inventory, then this way nobody gets fucking fired. Right. But 
Gary Oldman does not care for your rules. He's definitely one of those better to ask forgiveness than permission type people. Uh, he says if he asks before he takes it, people will moan. And he says they're just so, this is how we do it here. <laughs> I don't have high hopes for Gary Oldman at this job. Like, <laughs> this is a job, dude. Yeah. Like, this is how we do it is not just a Montel Williams jam. <laughs> He says that he and Nunu Gordon are young, and they can be the future if they dare to grasp it. You know you work in retail, right, dude? Uh, you know, no. He's an artist, man. Ugh, he's gross. An, he's an artistic gymnast. Disgusting. Nunu Gordon says that that's all well and good, but then is interrupted when Gary shows him the prototype of the display, which we don't see... But which Nunu Gordon reacts to like it's the inside of that suitcase from Pulp Fiction. And then they go out for $5 milkshakes. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he is awestruck. Back at Caliano's, Fat Thomas sits at the bar as George announces Harry Selfridge's arrival. Nothing bad could come of this. <laughs> Fat Thomas stands up and gathers himself, shakes Harry's hand when he walks in, and Harry says it's a nice place and congratulates him. Fat Thomas says that the police have been flexing their muscles, and Harry says he must know that his daughter was involved. Fat Thomas apologizes. Harry wants to know if Fat Thomas noticed who she was in a compromising position with. Fat Thomas. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say right. what the better choice would have been. Fat Thomas says it wasn't her fault that he respects Harry and Violette, which he obviously does not. <laughs> well, anyway, Harry says, you, the police report said. <laughs> And Fat Thomas interrupts him and says the police report exaggerated. They did nothing untoward. Yeah. Uh, only because the police showed up. Right. Harry says his children are still reeling from the death of their mother, and Violette is not herself at the moment. Doubtful. Yeah. And he asks Fat Thomas to leave Violette alone. Fat Thomas is like, listen, I'm already in trouble with the cops, and I know that you're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like... It seemed like a fun idea. I'm over it now. Yeah. The whole plan was for you not to find out. Now that you have, uh, yeah. Bye-bye, Violette. <laughs> At Selfridges, Nunu Gordon asks the staff to follow him. He has found the missing merchandise. Uh, so he shows them all into the lair, and Bobbin says that she's never been allowed in there before. <laughs> uh, Connie says that she has always fancied herself as a creative person, but Kitty says that the only thing Connie makes is trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Nunu Gordon introduces Gary Oldman, and he says that uh, this is a work in progress, and then pulls the screen aside to show a display, which is, you know, nice enough, uh, but maybe doesn't need to get built up as much as it is. <laughs> uh, it's got, I mean, his main thing is a rotating, like, tree in the middle. Yeah. Which, you know, all right, it rotates. Yeah, we can all break a phonograph <laughs> and rejigger it, sir. Yeah. We've all seen Home Alone. <laughs> Uh, there's applause, and then Crab and Grove have apparently shown up as well. Uh, Crab tells Grove that Nunu Gordon's first appointment might work out rather well. I just love Mr. Crab's, like, unflagging optimism. Yeah. Even though he is, like, the most cautious member of staff, he's always eager for an opportunity to say, hey, everything might not be a complete shit show. <laughs> yeah. He's a very nervous man, Mr. Crab. <laughs> he is. That is true. So Kitty and the gang all ad-lib some admiring dialogue about how great the display is. And one of them says, I wonder how it works, which it's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Martel tells Grove that Nunu Gordon was always going to inherit the store. And Grove is like, Grr, and he tells everyone to get he back to work. He always was. Yes. Like, it's fucking male primogeniture, dude. Yeah. 
Why else did you have five children? Yeah, like the store is called... You don't even have anything to inherit, you <laughs> dingleberry. Yeah. The store is not called Groves. <laughs> or Mr. Selfridge's parentheses, for the time being, but probably later Groves. <laughs> yeah. Close parentheses. <laughs> Selfridge's or whoever. <laughs> uh, so Groves tells everyone to get back to work, and Fake Doris tells Nunu Gordon that he is quite the showman. Nunu Gordon says he's shaking like a leaf as Grove gives the two of them a disapproving look. Uh, but Fake Doris says that Nunu Gordon was terrific and she heads out. The homely architect walks past the curtains being raised on the window displays and heads inside. Mr. Crab greets her and asks if any of their ladies can help her with anything. But she says she's there on business to meet with Mr. Selfridge. Crab asks how the estate is coming along and the homely architect unconvincingly says they're coming along nicely. And yeah. Okay, here's what I wish. Yes. I wish that just because we now know her horrible secret that she didn't think everybody, like, right. in universe, she, she's got to keep up this hyper-competent act. Right, and she, she shouldn't be acting any different than she did before the reveal, which was totally on top of things. Because she and, presumably was sitting around in a bathrobe drinking gin with that guy <laughs> the whole time. Right. Nothing has changed, except that she's now boning Harry Selfridge, which... Maybe get that checked. <laughs> like, I don't know what he's got. Yeah. Probably something. One would think. Yeah. The doctors call it HPV. <laughs> They've never heard of it. <laughs> it actually stands for hairy papillomavirus. <laughs> you hear that, Gordon? Your old man's got a sexually transmitted disease named after him. Someday it'll be yours, son. <laughs> In the palm court, the homely architect shows Harry some blueprints and says that at this point, they're really only waiting on the money. Hint, hint. Where did they get those blueprints? Is that guy literally like, there, I have so many questions yeah, about how, because th this is a really convincing scam. It is. But I'm like, it's the kind of scam where I'm like, if you guys are good enough at this, why don't you just build the fucking thing? Right. So I, we would definitely like to learn more about the scams, you know, uh, like underpinnings the blueprint of the scam <laughs> yeah yeah can we get a model <laughs> she asks harry if he's paying attention and he isn't particularly uh she says that she's booked builders and engineers but harry interrupts to ask her to go with, to dinner with him that night and meet his family run <laughs> homely architect says that this is a business meeting harry asks if that's a yes which, excuse me, when is the phrase, this is a business meeting, ever a yes? Like, if that's your, like, <laughs> go-ahead phrase in the bedroom, you know? Like, your safe word is banana. And your, like, you know, carry-on phrases, this is a business meeting. <laughs> Which, I'm not here to judge your personal life, customers. No, you're right. Now I could see, you know, people getting into it. It's a whole role-play thing. Is that okay? This is a business meeting! This is a business meeting. <laughs> Wow, wow. <laughs> uh, the homely architect says it's a little fast to be meeting his family. And Harry says, well, you're a little fast. <laughs> he Ar also has a groucho mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Say, you're a little fast. <laughs> Let's get fast together. Anyway, I'm right. not very good at the Marx Brothers. No. Sorry. That's all right. We'll, we'll fix it. We won't. No. <laughs> Take remedial Marx Brothers. <laughs> Aw, Zeppo again! <laughs> Look, it's the prereq. Everybody hates it. Ugh. That's how they weed out all the, you know... Un Zeppos? 
<laughs> all the Zeppos. <laughs> the Zeppos of Mark's majors. <laughs> that's how the, that's how the tests are graded. Zeppos and F. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, Harry says that he's not asking the homely architect to marry him. The homely architect says that... Isn't he? <laughs> right. The homely architect says that it's not a good idea, which it isn't. But Harry says that he wants her there so that Violette doesn't misbehave. And that apparently seals the deal. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's more of the homely architect being like, he's just going to keep asking until I say yes. So Yeah. At Homely House, uh, Gerard sits anxiously and gets up as the homely architect arrive arrives and says there's been a delay with the banks gerard says harry might be stringing them along but the homely architect says if it was if he was suspicious he wouldn't invite her to meet his family <laughs> like this is a classic case of like the scammers getting scammed no like you can't scam a scam like harry's so good at scams he doesn't even know that he's running a scam <laughs> yeah Gerard is shocked and asks if Harry's in love with her. The homely architect doesn't know, but if it means they get the money for a new life, she doesn't care. Gerard asks if she thinks it'll really be different in America. She says she wants to walk down the street without looking over her shoulder and that no one's luck lasts forever. Gerard drinks to a fresh start. And again, way more interested in these people's backstory. Yeah. Are they, you know, the Isaac and Miria of (laughs) Selfridge's universe? Like, I must know. Right. Like... Just this. If they are, they're not as good at robbing people. Yeah, like exactly. Are they living from scam to scam, like as a general career path, or was there some specific right? it thing? It seems to me like something happened, and they've fallen on hard times. Yeah, and they've got enough knowledge of you know this world cobbled together that they can right. run a scam. But like, I can't think that like the London architecting community is that big. Yeah. Or that Mr. Selfridge wouldn't have vetted her. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's particularly odd. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that's sex addicts for you. Sometimes (laughs) they make poor business decisions. Yeah. And what, what was JR doing during the war, man? Right. That is my biggest question. Yeah. At Selfridge House, everybody sits at the dinner table. Everybody, that is, except for Violette and Rosalie, who are yelling at each other in another room about Violette's scandalous behavior. And everybody's just sitting there, like, listening to them. (laughs) Well, they didn't have cable yet, (laughs) They didn't even have PBS's killer Sunday night lineup. (laughs) They really didn't. They just had the BBC, you know, on radio. Ugh. Yeah. Barely, too. I know. Harry gets up to go after Violette and Rosalie, but Ma volunteers to go instead and asks Nunu Gordon to tell everybody about his first day as deputy, uh, which he starts to do, but Wizwaz interrupts to say to the homely architect, so you're working with Harry and now you're his lover. You have investor and suitor all in one. How lucky. <laughs> Listen, I don't like this lady. Yeah. But man, that was great. Yeah. Well, and this well was- no, because again, that's a very Russian point of view. It is a very Russian point of view, but this is an even better example. She's of like, a- yes, it is why we have three names yeah and this is a better example of scam recognized scam yeah right here oh yeah like, definitely Wizwaz is like i've spent the last year or whatever scamming harry selfridge i see there's a new player in the game uh-huh no and you're doing better yeah well you know this this player has the option of boning him yeah and that is a huge part of any scam well when harry selfridge is involved in particular well yeah but i mean really any like, oh yeah when you're planning a scam you have to be like okay does boning somebody get me closer to where I want to be? <laughs> a self-help seminar by <laughs> Kelly Anakin. <laughs> Inspired by the diaries of Anne Boleyn. <laughs> Although really, 
She's not a great model. She isn't a great model, but she came real close. She came real close, man. But you look, if you're going to be with a king, and I understand you got to try and get more heirs and stuff, mm-hmm. but you better make sure everybody around you is on your side. Like, yeah. don't be a bitch to them. Well. Because they will sell you down the motherfucking river. They will. They will. Absolutely. They absolutely will. Yeah. And like, you know, pretend to have fidelity or something. I don't know. Get a turkey baster. (laughs) Do they have turkey basters then? I don't know. They had turkeys. I'm sure they wanted them moist and delicious. (laughs) Truly, it was the Jane Seymour of turkeys. Uh, anyway, if you'd like to know what we're talking about, tune in to Wolf Hall. <laughs> Sundays on PBS. I think at like 10 or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, actually, you really should because Jimmy Kent is in it. Yeah, that's Jimmy right. Jimmy Kent plays uh, Henry Percy. Yes. And who else is in it? Jenny Lee mm-hmm. from Call the Midwife. And we didn't even recognize her right. until about the third or fourth episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, who else do we know? From Upstairs, Downstairs, right? Isn't one of them? Oh, the- yes. Yeah. Uh, Lady Persephone, whose yes. actual name we don't know, plays right. Anne Boleyn. And yeah. it is so good. I mean, yeah, she's really good. She was so good in the Upstairs, Downstairs reboot, but like we hated it so much it couldn't register. But it, yeah. this, she is just unbelievably good mm-hmm. uh jojen reed yeah from game of thrones mm-hmm. slash love actually the worst movie ever uh he's in there fight 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 <laughs> i hate that movie so much i know um yeah and it's uh it's just a a great oh damian lewis from homeland which people care about apparently they, they do, i yeah. don't right. but others do yeah um yeah phenomenal yeah just really great yeah great on its own great as a work of adaptation great like in terms of yeah. history like it's just it's just all really good yeah we give it five maggie smith <laughs> i just want to point out to everyone that tom has written here oh ho perhaps it takes a scammer to catch a scammer which sounds like a tobias funke line from arrested development it does actually <laughs> you basically are my tobias funke so i guess that all makes sense there are dozens of us <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, so Wizwaz said uh, that the homely architect is, you know, she said, how lucky, and the homely architect is like, I beg your pardon, and Wizwaz oh, says, oh, my English is not perfect, I meant fortunate, <laughs> which is great. Uh, so then Ma, Violette, and Rosalie walk in, and Harry says that it's nice of Violette to join them. Uh, you know, Rosalie also didn't have to hold things up by having this fight just Right? Then. Like, Rosalie, yeah. you are so boring yeah. until you decide not to be boring, and then it's like, like, why even bother? Yeah. Rosalie asks Violette if she remembers the homely architect. Violette says, I hear you're dating my father. I also want to point, somebody was tweeting at us about her grating American accent. I don't know why I've let it go this long. Yeah. Maybe just gender solidarity, but it is equally as bad as that guy from the made-for-TV Titanic who's like, I've got my American accent to keep me warm, mother. I mean, like, objectively, yes. But somehow... It works really well for the character. Yeah, like, it just doesn't bother me with her when that well, often will like, bother me. Well, if you listen me. to Rosalie and Gordon, like... Gordon obviously went full assimilationist. Yeah. And he didn't really have a choice. He was so young. Yeah. When yeah. they moved to And went England. to like boarding school and everything. Yeah. And I mean, the rest of them were in America for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like Violette has like doubled down. She's like, I'm not going to assimilate. Not nobody. Not know how. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, she's, she's the, you know, jazz age one. She of sure is. The siblings. 
you know, because... I'd call her a bright young thing, but she's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Rosalie got married before that could get going, and mm-hmm. Nino Gordon's, you know, married to the job. Yeah, and, you know... Beatrice is the bride of Satan, so. <laughs> well, yeah, and plus, I mean, Nunu Gordon's into uh, fake Doris now, and she is not a jazz age type. Oh, no, not at all. No. No. Definitely a f- before the war type. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they go to a jazz club, and they're like, oh, what a scandalous adventure, whereas Violet's like, I'm moving in! <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Violette said that she hears Homely Architect is dating her father, and the Homely Architect says that it's early days. Violette then says, a word to the wise. <laughs> You're going to get Harry Papilloma virus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, you know, Harry has fucked dozens of people. <laughs> I would say more than that. This, yeah, hard to say. I don't well, know. Dozens is plenty. Dozen, I, when you said dozens, I only heard dozen. Right. But like, yeah, right. I would say probably like 36. Yeah. <laughs> Just a ballpark <laughs> No, it's that, that's exact. We nailed it. 36. We haven't read that book yet. No, you're right. It might have insight into exactly how many people he fucked. Yeah, there could be a tally. Yeah. Yeah. That would be kind of weird, but. It would be, but uh, historians are weird. That's true. They are. Harry cuts Violette off from all, all these uh, things she was going to reveal. Uh, and the homely architect says, well, this is great. She thought she was going to be bored. Other people's families are usually so dull. <laughs> uh, laughter and Violette gives her a respectful look. Because that was a pretty adroit yeah, bit of conversation. It really was. Yeah. Uh, which is definitely an improvement over most of these family dinners. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> At Caliano's, Fat Thomas pours Perkis a drink, who says he must be losing money. Fat Thomas pulls out an envelope and asks for the same terms as before, like a buffoon. (laughs) Perkis says it's triple now, and he says Fat Thomas crossed him and he has to pay. Fat Thomas says he can't make that, and Perkis thanks him for the drink and leaves. Like, how did you think this was going to go, man? Agreed. Although like, I, mean, I, I just, I just think like he really needs a mentor here. Yeah. Like, and has needed one to be like, hey, so should I play ball with this crooked cop? So the guy can be like, yeah, definitely play ball with that crooked cop, you dumb <laughs> idiot. Right. Like, do you want to have a nightclub or a bookstore? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that you know, I agree, but I also think that Perkis overplays his hand as well. I mean, at some point, there's an amount that Fat Thomas just doesn't have to give him, and if the place shuts down, you've got to start from scratch with somebody that you haven't already intimidated. You mm-hmm. know? Oh yeah. Like you can get more out of him, but I think going triple, like if he had said like fifty percent more or something like that, maybe Fat Thomas just like you know grits mm-hmm. his teeth and doesn't. Yeah. So. Like you've no, you've already flexed you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's very clear who is winning the power imbalance you know get him in at a slightly higher rate and then keep incrementally yeah ratcheting it up yeah yeah maybe we should own a nightclub (laughs) or be crooked policeman i'd never make it through uh the academy (laughs) yeah i don't have enough upper body strength (laughs) well if i remember the movie police academy (laughs) (laughs) which I've, i've never seen that so Nunu Gordon finishes up the anecdote about the Gary Oldman display. And <laughs> oh, work stories. Everybody loves those. Yeah, there's a uh, polite laughter. Harry doesn't remember approving a new window display, but Nunu Gordon points out that he was left in charge. Yeah, don't make him a deputy manager if you don't want him to manage. Yeah. Like, I know that, like, no, this is the thing. Harry's appointed a deputy manager, which he assumed meant Gordon would just pull a Leclerc and just swan around smoking cigarettes <laughs> all the time and flirting with Agnes Towler. Right. 
Or, you know, fake Doris as his own personal yeah. Agnes. Yeah. But like, oh, he's like, oh, you're actually going to do work? <laughs> all right. You don't really? understand this nepotism thing at all, do you, kid? <laughs> Sergei then stands up and announces that he has to go pack for a business trip. Rosalie asks, what trip? And he says that he's going to Paris tomorrow to meet a potential backer and will stay for as long as it takes. With what money? Well, I mean, beyond that, you... You're t- just telling Rosalie now? At this group dinner. <laughs> yes. At which there is company that is not related to your ass. Yeah. His face keeps reminding me of something. Yeah. Like something, not someone. <laughs> it's just so blunt and stupid. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't figure it out. Yeah. No, I feel like, is there some kind of like image matching algorithm we could plug it into? Maybe. You know, internet. <laughs> are you there, internet? It's us, the palm court. Well, if any of us customers are reminded of a thing by Sergey's face, it's like a hat rack or something. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, everybody looks at each other after this bit of fuck nuttery. Yeah, uh, and Wizwaz suggests that they all get some coffee. Violette asks if she can go or if coffee is compulsory <laughs> as well. Yeah, she's definitely behaving around the homely architect. I Harry thought anybody could make her behave. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't, and you pay all of her bills. She got arrested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Harry tells the homely architect that Violette must be punishing him by dating a club owner. But the homely architect says that the first man a woman dates is usually like her father. Harry says that he's nothing like fat Tom. Oh, gee. Uh-huh, sure. Yeah. You're not like a showboating entrepreneur <laughs> that likes to like, you know, be fat. <laughs> and make questionable business decisions yeah. that tend to work out somehow. <laughs> and abuse your long-term female partner <laughs> emotionally. Yeah. Hang out with George Towler for some reason. <laughs> anyway, the homely architect says that if he doesn't want to lose Violette, he has to stop treating her like a little girl. Ma tells Wizwaz, this <laughs> Wizwaz. Thank you, Violette. You yeah. are the gift that keeps on giving this season. Ma tells Wizwaz this might be a good time to talk to Sergey, uh, since he's planning to go to Paris <laughs> indefinitely. Yep. But Wizwaz now says that she thinks it's better not to interfere. Because again, Ma Selfridge, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, no reason not to let this con artist back into our house. We have an oral agreement for her to be slightly nicer. <laughs> this is like the scene in The Simpsons uh, when Homer and the family get locked out of the house by Jim Varney and his son. <laughs> and they invoke the Carney code. And they just keep laughing at them through that mail <laughs> There is no Carney code. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wizwa's definitely a Carney. Oh, she's the prettiest Carney ever. She's a Russian princess. Yeah. She could join a carnival. Yeah, she, like, could do, she could join a carnival and do... She could be the elephant. <laughs> She'd be like, I am elephant, yes. <laughs> yes, applaud. <laughs> I'm a uh, real princess. <laughs> Ma says that they had a deal, and uh, Wizwaz says, yeah, fine, and chugs her sherry. She doesn't care. Yeah. Wizwaz, don't give a fuck. Nope. Uh, so anyway, up in Sergei's study, Wizwaz comes in and is like, listen, your mother-in-law or grandmother or whoever this old woman is, she said, come here and talk, I talk. Uh, 
she actually says that Ma told her that Rosalie is unhappy. Sergey asks, what business is that of theirs? Yeah. Um, I don't know. They mostly have to deal with her when you're not around. So yeah. I'd say it's their business. Also, they're co-running this scam. This relates to their scam. Also, I'm not sure that like... I just feel like the Selfridge house is slowly turning into a horrible, overstuffed production of No Exit. Like, <laughs> all these people are trapped in there together. Look, you invite a Russian into your home, you're going to live a depressing play. Yeah. Like, that's just... Wizwa says, uh, correctly, that they live with them and they need them. Sergei says that Wizwaz needs them to pay her bills and that everyone in the house is expecting him to fail. And this is his chance to make something of himself. Again, who's paying your bills? Mm-hmm. Did Rosalie not, like, pay your debts last episode? She sure she did. Because she sure did. Like, yeah. In person. Yeah. Like, she didn't even dispatch a courier. Yeah. Okay? Like, Lockley saw it. Yeah. It was gross. Yeah. Wizwaz says that a marriage needs tending to grow and to talk to Rosalie. Sergei sits down petulantly and says, about what? And I am like, dude, how can you be a playboy and not, like, know anything about women? Yeah. Like, you have to at least know enough to manipulate them. Right. Wizwaz says that Americans love to talk about their feelings, which does not exactly get Sergei <laughs> excited. Granted, Americans do love to talk about their feelings. Yeah, true Like, the, you know, East Coast people. Yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Talk at the about, time yeah yeah no I, I was like we talk about our feelings in california plenty like yeah but like not at this time got, period yeah. like people were still pretty rough and tumble right at this point they were still you know panning for gold yeah. and whatnot Wizwaz says that she and prince Wizwaz did not set him a good example and the prince would rather have shot himself than talk about his feelings <laughs> where's prince Wizwaz? yeah i, I want prince Wizwaz. he shot himself when asked to talk about his feelings Sergei says he doesn't know how to be the husband Rosalie wants, so Wizwaz says to treat her like an attractive girl he doesn't yet know, which yeah. is actually really good advice. Yeah, Wizwaz, if only you'd use your powers for good. <laughs> yeah. You're the smartest person in this joint. Yeah. Martel and Doris Classic sit in some park, as Doris Classic says that baby daddy's been hanging around. And that Grove might have noticed it if he wasn't so distracted by the rise of Nunu Gordon. Well, then I guess you're awfully lucky that Nunu Gordon has distracted your husband. Yeah. She says that if Grove finds out about Shame Baby, it'll be the end of their marriage. It probably won't. Yeah, it's, it's hard like to say. It's really hard to get divorced. It is. But, you know, Grove's also a dick. He is a dick, and he would have grounds. Yeah. So. Yeah. Martel says that they have to give Baby Daddy what he wants in secret and to let Martel sort everything out and not to worry. It's all going to be fine. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. I'm not sure why Miss Martel cares so much, but... Well, she doesn't have much to do. Fashion's going great. Yeah, that's true. At Selfridges, fake Doris blows on a fake flower. <laughs> wow. It was made just for her. <laughs> uh, and it spins around. Bobbin says it's lovely. Fake Doris wonders how he meaning Gary Oldman, does it, and then knocks over the display. Just as Gary Oldman walks by, he runs up and asks what she's done and says, it's completely ruined, you clumsy idiot. Nunu Gordon comes up and says that is no way to speak to a lady, particularly one who works there. Gary Oldman says he didn't see Nunu Gordon and apologizes to fake Doris by handing her the fake flower she just ruined. Yeah. And I'm like, that is not a sufficient apology. No, it isn't. Fake Doris accepts the apology and walks off with Bobbin, handing her the flower as soon as they're out of sight. Yeah, she recognizes that that was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Oldman says the display is pretty. Nunu Gordon agrees, and Gary Oldman says the best is yet to come. He wishes to bring the essence of France to England, the beautiful garments that all French women wear, but that he cannot find in England. He asks where the ceintures and culottes bouffant are. 
He says that they could bring Le Dussault's Aquilos. Yeah, we'll go with that. To London at a fraction of the cost as he hands a paper to Gordon to sign. Yeah, so I, I was looking up what these words mean. Saint Tours equals belts. Uh, and culotte bouffant is, uh, bloomers. And then le dessous affriolant is the tempting underwear. I'm gonna call all my underwear now <laughs> the tempting underwear. <laughs> Except for the period underwear. <laughs> Uh, he says this display will bring every London woman there with her husband and checkbook. Nunu Gordon, refusing to admit he does not speak French, says he will try. <laughs> and Gary Oldman gives him the old, there is no try routine. Yeah, it, without his accent, he's basically just a corporate motivational speaker. Yeah. Like. Fake Doris walks up to Nunu Gordon and thanks him for sticking up for her. Nunu Gordon says, what else am I going to do? You're my girl. Also the wrong answer. The correct right. answer should be, I am the manager here and he was being really rude. Yeah. Like, also, you should have reprimanded fake Doris for messing around with a display. Well, true enough. Anyway, he gets flustered and says, if you'd like to be. Fake Doris says she has to think about it. Then she says she's thought about it. And the answer is yes. All right. Over it. You guys are boring now. <laughs> no, that's really what the talk is going to be. The Harry's going to talk to Nunu Gordon and be like, all right, listen, son, I know you got a girl. You're going to need a floozy on the side. Here's what you do. <laughs> Go out to uh, the, uh, you know, the gaiety. <laughs> they still do that, that teddy bear dance, right? <laughs> it's horrifying, but. <laughs> Effective. <laughs> Upstairs, Nunu Gordon gives Crab the display order he just signed and says that he and Gary Oldman are concerned that English women are being denied le dessous à friolant causing Grove to choke on his tea. <laughs> well, he was in France. <laughs> Crab says that it's all French to him, and they both look at Grove, who says, who are we to stand in Mr. Gordon's way? Nunu Gordon thanks him, but Crab at least knows something fishy is going on. I like Mr. Crab. Yeah. He's just always around. He is. And you can't put things past him. I mean, he'll let them go. Right. But you can't put it past him. Exactly. Violette sits in the palm court watching a bunch of women laughing at another table. Harry walks up to her and says he wasn't sure she'd come, but she says that's what he wants for her. Shopping, gossip, and marriage. You know, those women all seem to be having a great time. Also, he's never said that. <laughs> yeah. Like, get a job. Right. Like, a real job. Like, go. that's the thing. She has no skills, mm -hmm. but wants him to, like, let her do stuff. Right. And, like, she wouldn't be like Gordon and work her way up from the bottom, you yeah. know, nominally. She would want to, like, be head of department right away. Yeah. Harry says he does want her to marry, but a gentleman won't marry a woman who's been disgraced, which Loxley did. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm true. not sure that that's where we want to be setting the bar, but it's not impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Violette says she doesn't want to marry a gentleman. Harry sighs and suggests that she work with him on the estate. Violette asks why'd she want to do that. Harry says it's because it's something her mother would have loved. Yeah, because Violette, like, cares. Yeah. Was her mother. I know, but, like, she doesn't... Anyway. Yeah. The homely architect walks up and asks if they've declared a truce. Violette says Harry has suggested that she work with them. The homely architect was clearly not informed of this plan, yeah. but says it would be wonderful. Yeah. Because what else can she say? So as Homely Architect and Violette are walking through the shop floor, Homely Architect says that the buildings are all well in hand, but what she needs is somebody to raise funds for furniture. Violette is not thrilled by the idea of, like, running raffles and whatnot. But Homely Architect says that it's no good giving the servicemen homes if they have nowhere to sit. Uh, you know, it's still, mm -hmm. still homes. Like, it's not nothing. Violette supposes that she could organize a party since she's always having to go to her friend's charity bullshit. I can't believe she didn't put two and two together before this. Right. Agreed. Uh, the homely architect thinks that that sounds great. 
Violette says that she is envious of the homely architect because she has her own career, her own life, and she doesn't know how the homely architect managed it. Uh, the homely architect says that she didn't have a choice. Uh, so Violette, you might want to think about this. Yeah. Bob and Connie and Kitty are all done for the day. Connie and Bobbin are heading to the Burlington Arcade, but Kitty wants to get home to Frank and heads off. She walks down an alley and bumps into a man coming out of a doorway. She turns back and apologizes, but it's Sarge. Yikes. Uh, we get a flashback to Sarge attacking her. Which, like, it, I didn't like the flashback at all. Like, it wasn't that long Look, ago. this show does not do well with any kind of, like, I hesitate to even call this a stylistic choice. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, you know, let us not forget the wooden car. Let's not. Of season one. <laughs> we just want a picture of that car falling. Never forget. <laughs> Kitty turns around and runs down the alley and into George. George tells Kitty it's all right as Private Runty suggests to Sarge that they get out of there. Yeah. At Selfridge House, Violette is addressing envelopes or some such, and Ma and Wizwaz come in and ask if they can help. Violette says that she's fine, but Wizwaz says that she, Wizwaz, knows how to throw a party. She looks at the guest list and says that it won't do. She says a guest must be charming, beautiful, or rich, preferably all three. Violette asks why she cares, and Wizwaz says that she's been asked to be part of the family, so she must save Violette from herself. She says that she has her own list of the right people. Violette looks at the list and notes that they are male and unmarried. Wizwaz agrees, says that Violette needs to get married and fly this coop. Violette says that if Wizwaz would like to invite these men, she can help herself to invitations and envelopes. Ma says that they don't mind rolling up their sleeves, and Wizwaz is like, "I've, cor- I'm a princess." <laughs> There's all they had. They, My sleeves do not roll. They kicked us out of the country because of our disinclination to roll up <laughs> our sleeves. Violet asks if she can use the phone to hire a band. Ma says, "Sure," on undermining her rules of being grounded. And Ma asks Wizwaz if they should get started, but Wizwaz claims to have a headache. At Caliano's, Haircut answers the phone. Violette is disappointed and predictable. Yeah. Uh, but she asks to talk to Fat Thomas. Haircut says, hello, Violette. And Fat Thomas hears and shakes his head. Haircut says Fat Thomas is out. Violette thanks her and hangs up. Haircut starts to talk to Fat Thomas, or then some men walk in. The head guy introduces himself as Michael Regan. Fat Thomas recognizes him. Regan says it's a nice spot, but Fat Thomas says that he's not selling. Regan says he doesn't want a club. It's too much like hard work, which is true. Yeah. And Fat Thomas asks if he worked this out with Perkis. Regan says Perkis is no friend of his, but he knows his game. And that's why he keeps Perkis's boss in his pocket. Oh, oh. Fat Thomas asks what Regan would expect in return. Regan says nothing, nothing much. Just some gambling, a roulette table. Fat Thomas says Regan would have the place out from under him. Regan reiterates that he doesn't want the club, but unless Fat Thomas deals with Perkis, he won't have a club either. Yeah. So this Michael Regan seems much, you know, smoother and, like, classier as gangsters go. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Perkis isn't a gangster. Well, right. Perkis is just a shakedown man. Yeah. He's like a patent troll. Yeah. Whereas Regan definitely seems to be in the organized variety of crime. Yes. As opposed to the improv. (laughs) Yes. Of your sarges of the world. Yeah. At Mustache House, Mustache hangs up the phone and goes into the sitting room where Kitty and George are, and he tells them that it was Loxley that put up bail for Sarge and Private Runty as part of his war with Harry. George says that Sarge was always a nasty piece of work, and the rumor at the front was he'd done time before the war, which Mustache apparently thinks is interesting. 
George says that Runty hasn't got the brains he was born with. Oh, you mean like you, George Teller? <laughs> right. So I keep trying to tell him to take this experimental drug I've been on, but he just won't do it. I'm banging loads of chicks. I told him not to worry about the rat. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Algernon. <laughs> Kitty says that she's going to go see Loxley. A mustache says that that's not a good idea. And, you know, even a stopped mustache is right twice a day. (laughs) (laughs) Kitty says that it wasn't a good idea to get those men drunk either, but somebody's got to do something. Good point. Yeah. So mustache says that he'll go. And George says that he should perhaps go as well now that things have gotten weird. In the front hall, George tells Kitty that she can always rely on him. Kitty says that he's already saved her once today, and she appreciates it. Are we going back into uh, Kitty George Towler's shipping territory here? It's, like, weird. It's really weird. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. Like, stick with haircut, George. <laughs> right? Like, and I think she can do better. Oh, frankly. yeah. At Selfridge's, Crab opens a letter and is shocked. Shocked! He walks toward Harry's office... Plunkett says he's not in, and Crab says he needs an appointment on a matter of the utmost urgency. See Rosalie sitting in front of her mirror, and Sergei walks in and says, Come to Paris with me. You have half an hour to pack a case. Oh, uh, that's romantic. Well, apparently. Are you under arrest? <laughs> Rosalie asks why he changed his mind, and he says, Shh. She says she never know what he wants from her. Possibly because when she asks a direct question, <laughs> he says things like, Shh. <laughs> right. Uh, he responds by picking her up and throwing her on the bed. Cut to downstairs. We hear Rosalie laughing as she walks in on Sergei's arm and says that he's invited her to Paris. And he just banged me upstairs. What a horrible place yeah. to live. Yeah. Ma is thrilled and the couple heads out. And Ma hopes that they are still smiling when they return. Spoiler alert. They won't be. Yeah. That's not even a spoiler. I'm just assuming. <laughs> right. We don't know. In Harry's office, Harry and Crab walk in as Crab says they've been notified that Harry is preparing to sell 5% of his holdings. Harry says it's the only way he can raise the capital for the estate. Crab says he'll lose his majority stake. Harry says it wasn't an easy decision, but the family as a whole will still have control, which I'm not totally... I think, yeah, Nunu Gordon has some shares in his Mm -hmm. own name and things like that, yeah. Crab says that he feels some personal culpability since he kept the store from raising the money. Harry says Crab did what he felt was right and he respects him for it. Crab begs him to reconsider, but Harry says to trust him and signs the paper. Yep. Anytime Harry Selfridge asks you to trust him, I think you should probably run screaming in the opposite <laughs> direction. Or, you know, just like knock him out. You're making a mistake. At Lizard House, some servant announces Mustache and says that he doesn't have an appointment, but Loxley says to show him in. Mustache comes in and says that Loxley's game with Selfridge doesn't involve Kitty. Loxley says that he doesn't play games. Mustache asks why he paid the bail of the men who attacked her, and Loxley says, uh uh uh, allegedly attacked her. Mustache says that they're nothing to Loxley, but Loxley says that they're a tragic example of persecuted war heroes. Mustache asks if he knows what they did, and Loxley says that a judge knows and deemed them worthy of bail, and all he did was pay it. I mean, you have to admit, Loxley's pretty good at being an evil villain. He is. I was just thinking that. Like, it's, you know, kind of weird that he's so cartoonishly evil, but he does a great job. Oh, he does an amazing job. Yeah. Mustache says he has a court report on Sarge from before the war. Uh, said, you know, so he's done this sort of thing before. But Loxley asks if you reformers believe in innocent until proven guilty. Not really. <laughs> he says the trial will provide a public platform for their cause. Mustache looks at Loxley the way everyone always looks at Loxley. <laughs> uh, and says that Loxley is just trying to restore his character. Loxley says that that's incidental. 
Mustache says his wife will be put through the ringer by every paper in the country. And Loxley says that that's ironic coming from Mustache. It actually is. It is. Yeah. You did write that play. Yeah. Dude. Uh, and he looks forward to seeing Mustache in court. Mustache leaves angrily. At Mustache House, Mustache tells Kitty she should consider dropping the charges. He says he's just trying to stop her from being hurt. He wants to know if they can put that behind them. But Kitty says no. She says there's no way those men are walking away scot-free. Uh, Kitty, you're the bomb. Yeah. Like, you're is. the bomb. Mm-hmm. I don't always agree with your opinions or your methods, but, like, right. she's a bitch who gets what she wants. Yeah, she is. George packs up bottles at Culliano's when Kitty shows up. He asks why she's there, and she says that there's something he can do to help her. She gives him a piece of paper and tells him not to tell Mustache. Well, this can't end badly. (laughs) Well, it looks like Violette did remember to hire a band after failing to get through to her booty call. (laughs) Um, Can you imagine sending, like, sexting through Telegram? (laughs) That's, I understand that it was done. Expensive, I am sure. <laughs> well. I mean, look, as long as anything has ever existed, human beings have, like, used it to get laid. Right. The band plays as rich people dance in the front hall of Selfridge House. Violette makes the rounds and asks people to buy raffle tickets, then goes up to Wizwaz, who introduces her to an old dude that is Lord Forgill of Forgill Textiles. Uh, she says he's not a real lord, but his money is real. Ma is shocked, but Wizwaz adds that Forgill is deaf. Yeah. Like, honestly, Wizwaz, Violette, listen to Wizwaz. Yeah. Marry some doddering old dude whose estate you can inherit and then do whatever the fuck you want. That's a, that's a way to go. Anyway. The song ends and everybody applauds as Violette walks up to the homely architect and Harry and says that they'll exceed their target. The homely architect is impressed. Violette thanks her and says that she sees why Harry likes her. Harry asks Violette to dance and they do. He says he's very proud of her and she thanks him. The homely architect looks around shiftily. Yeah. Maybe don't look so shit. This is what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quit showing your hand, dude. You're doing great. Yeah. He's so easy to scam. <laughs> he is. Just don't send him a million messages a day. Yeah. George and Kitty walk into some soup kitchen or something, and she's nervous, but George says that he'll be right by her side. Which is not that, like, (laughs) reassuring. My waifish form will protect you. (laughs) They walk up to Private Runty, and Kitty hands him Sarge's criminal record and says that this is who his friend really is that he's lying to protect. Private Runty says that he didn't lie. Kitty says that she wasn't the first girl that Sarge attacked, and she won't be the last unless Runty does the right thing. Runty says to leave him alone. Kitty asks if he has a sister, and what if it was her being attacked? Sarge arrives and asks if they're intimidating his friend and says that he'll speak to his solicitor about it, which is an excellent point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the room gets a bit tense, but then old quick-thinking silver-tongued George Towler... <laughs> the Elliot Stabler of Selfridges. <laughs> uh, ...waves the paper and says that this is who Sarge really is, that he did time for bashing a girl's face in. Sarge says that he's a liar, but George says that Sarge is a disgrace to the uniform. Sarge tells George to give him the paper. George says to take it from him. And then various drifters stand up and stare at them. Well, because you know how much drifters feel like rape is, you know, a problem for us all to solve. Right. They definitely, they feel strongly about upholding law and order. Mm -hmm, That's generally their feeling. They Uh, love the cops. Right. They like it when people come and tell them what to do and (laughs) think they're better than them. Oh, drifters. (laughs) So, yeah, Sarge backs down, and George gives Runty the paper and leads Kitty out. Harry pours the homely architect a glass of champagne. Um, Okay, so 
Remember back in series one when much was made of the fact that Harry doesn't drink? Right. Like at all? Yeah. Ever? And then he crashed that car? Right. Because he was drunk? Because when he drinks, he turns into an insane, like, reckless driving maniac? Right. Again, never forget. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Apparently, that doesn't extend to charity event champagne. I guess not. Because he pours a glass for the homely architect who seems a little tipsy. And then he has one for himself. Did he drink from it? He poured himself a glass. I don't remember if we see him drink from it or not. And you know what? Maybe he just, maybe he takes a sip when he's toasting something, you know, because that's traditional. I I don't know. know, But maybe he's fallen off the wagon because Rose is dead, which would explain a lot of his erratic behavior. That's true. At any rate, the homely architect asks what they're celebrating. Harry says he's got the funding and asks how much he needs to get started. The homely architect says 4,000 for materials and 3,000 for labels. Sorry, for labor. I was like, that's a lot of labels, Tom. <laughs> yeah. No, the the program I typed this in has a fairly aggressive autocorrect, which uh-huh. is generally good, but sometimes it'll autocorrect, and then I won't see the little squiggly, squiggly word tell me I made a typo, yeah. and hilarity ensues. It's not that funny. Yeah. <laughs> Harry says that he'll put 7000 in the account in the morning. Meanwhile, Violette, wearing her couch cape of seduction, <laughs> sneaks out. Oh, my God. It's so ugly. Maybe she thinks, maybe it's like camouflage. Like, if anything comes up, she can just lie down on the curb. Maybe like, up. Oh, somebody's getting rid of an old couch. Like, never wear. <laughs> <laughs> she seems as annoying as that entire book. <laughs> Did you read that book? I hated that book. How have we not talked about this? Well, didn't we watch the, like, TV? No. You might have. I read the book because okay. a friend said that she really liked it. Mm-hmm. And I read the book and it was the dumbest shit I've ever read in my whole life. <laughs> okay. Oh, I hate it so much. So, fans of Love Actually and Neverwhere. Beware. <laughs> so, at Caliano's, unless it's Fat Thomas's house, I couldn't really tell. Uh, but Fat Thomas... I assume he lives at the club. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he may well. We've never seen him elsewhere. I don't know where that blowing window was, though, so... Right. Good point. Anyway, Fat Thomas answers the door, Violette comes in, and they get right down to business. They sure do. And he seems like he's been jonesing for it. Yeah. So... Well, I mean, he was, you know, like, when you're interrupted on the very verge of achieving this goal by police... presumably with a virgin. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you've got to think... Yeah. You know, you're wondering, what what if? <laughs> uh, after a commercial break, George <laughs> walks into Caliano's. Well, I just said that because otherwise it's weird. that It sounds like George is walking in on them. And oh, that's not I the case see. at yeah, all. Yeah, there's a break in that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, George walks into Caliano's where there's activity happening. He asks what's going on. And Fat Thomas says Perkis won't be troubling them. Uh, isn't George now his partner? Shouldn't he have consulted George before setting this deal up? Well, I think, uh, I think George, like, he only, like, like, made Fat Thomas accept him as partner by quitting his other job. Yeah. So I'm not sure that Fat Thomas ever really wanted a partner per You're se. You're the only thing standing between me and being a drifter. <laughs> Victor. <laughs> you know, again, it's called Caliano's, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Fat Thomas is like, oh yeah, Perkis, not a problem anymore. Regan introduces himself. Haircut says, we're expanding. <laughs> and Fat Thomas says there'll be a games room in the back. George and Haircut exchange a glance. George asks Regan if it's just gambling. Regan says they'll barely know he's there. George reluctantly shakes his hand. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Like, uh, this is how it always goes, okay? Yeah. This is how it always goes. What are you doing? Yeah. 
On the shop floor at Selfridge's, Grove calls Nunu Gordon over and says the Dessous Afriolant have arrived and asks if Nunu Gordon would like to sign for them since it's his responsibility. Nunu Gordon says, of course, does so, and walks off, thinking to himself, nailing it. <laughs> Grove says that he's looking forward to it to nobody, uh, but Fake Doris overhears his gloating. In the Information Bureau, Fake Doris asks Blankensop what Dessous Afriolance means. Blankensop says her French is a little rusty, but pulls a book down. She finds the entry, but is shocked. She hands the book to Fake Doris and then backs away from the horrors she has apparently seen. <laughs> like she won't even touch the book anymore. Fake Doris is likewise shocked. Gee, no wonder human sexuality is still so rife with peril. <laughs> In the kissing storeroom, Nuno Gordon is telling some guy something about not running out of essential goods or whatever. When Fake Doris walks in and asks for him, Nuno Gordon says we'll have to wait. Fake Doris says that it can't. Uh, Nuno Gordon tries to ignore her, but she walks up and says that Gary Oldman is putting women's knickers in Selfridge's window. I love that the Brits say knickers. <laughs> like, it just makes underwear sound so fun and harmless. <laughs> no, you're right. You know. They're not tempting underwear. They're knickers. Right. Like, under- underwear is just functional. Le dessous offre au long is, like, you know, seductive or whatever. But knickers, you know. Yeah, that knickers a- is like, we're having a pillow fight. <laughs> yeah. That- knickers are your friend. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to scandalized faces standing around in the street. Nunu Gordon and fake Doris walk up and are shocked as are Plunkett and Martle. Plunkett says it disgraces all women. Fake Doris says they're beautiful, but Martle says she won't be jettisoning her girdle for them. Right. Uh, good old staunch Josie Martle. <laughs> Connie and Bobbin are the next to be shocked, followed by Crab, Harry, Grove, and all the rest. <laughs> Harry looks at Nunu Gordon, Crab looks at Grove, and Mr. Crab says that Grove knew, and Mr. Grove just laughs because he doesn't know how to not be a villain. Yeah. You know, this is really one of the less evil things I've done. <laughs> Kitty walks out the front door and Mustache runs up and says that Runty has withdrawn his previous statement and told the truth, forcing Sarge to plead guilty. Kitty is delighted. Mustache says that he's glad to see her happy and he's sorry about everything. Uh, Kitty says that everything's all right and to take her to lunch because they have something to celebrate. Well, I'm sure that's the last we've heard of Sarge and Private Runty. It might be. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah, but that, that deus ex taller was kind of yeah. pretty weak as a resolution. I agree. At Homely House, the Homely Architect is packing her bags, but Gerard says the job's not finished. The Homely Architect says they've got $7,000 in the bank. They can clear it well, out. And, pounds. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, they can clear it out and book a ticket to New York. Gerard says if they wait for the government money, they could make four times as much. But the homely architect says she'd have to hire a team, and any civil engineer would see right through her. I mean, now. Yeah. <laughs> well, still, I mean, you know, at some point... I know. She would, you know, get asked a question about, like, you know, static load or something. and Yeah. And she'd just quote Hitler. <laughs> Uh, Gerard says she's losing her nerve and she's gone soft. The homely architect denies both claims, but, uh, I think that she has. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Well. Gerard says to prove it by staying in for the long game. The homely architect agrees. Homely architect, my advice to you, take the money, get out of there on your own, leave this guy. I don't know who he is or what he knows about you. But I know his name isn't on the account, is it? Yeah, it sure isn't. Yeah. And also, I always hate it when people, like, fall for the, you know, Marty McFly, are you calling me chicken? Yeah. Scenario. But here we are. On the elevator, Grove reads the paper to Harry, Nunu, Gordon, and Crab, finding phrases like downright offensive, 
and incredibly unfitting. And finally, these outrageous French camisoles have no place in a woman's wardrobe, much less a high street window. This time, Harry Selfridge has gone too far. You think Harry just has a scrapbook <laughs> with newspaper articles with just that line in them? <laughs> yeah. Nailing it. <laughs> it's the nailing it scrapbook. <laughs> The elevator stops, and Harry says, let's take a look at the damage, and the door is open, and the store is packed with people gathered around the outrageous French camisoles. Harry tells Nunu Gordon that he hit it out of the park, and Crab says that he's impressed with his initiative, and says, aren't you, Mr. Grove? And Grove is like, yeah, it's all right, I guess. <laughs> Crab and Grove walk off, and Harry tells Nunu Gordon not to do it again, and Nunu Gordon agrees. Harry goes and congratulates Gary Oldman as Nunu Gordon takes a deep breath. In some park, baby daddy tells the, uh, God, anytime I see the way we abbreviate Doris no. Classic, I always want to say Dowager Countess. No, I know. I should. Wouldn't it be great if it was the Dowager <laughs> Countess that had this shame baby? <laughs> uh, baby daddy tells Doris Classic that shame baby has his eyes and says he has Doris Classic's nose. Although that's no blessing. Uh, that's not funny. Her nose is perfectly cromulent. Yeah. Screw you. Like Doris, your nose is so great. Right? You Malfoy-looking motherfucker. <laughs> Doris Classic laughs as Martle stands on lookout a few yards away. Doris Classic says she brought Baby Daddy a photograph of Shane Baby. Baby Daddy says a girl at work has asked him out. Doris Classic asks if he likes her. He says she's a bit daft and she's got these teeth. Uh, but since he can't have Doris Classic, he wants her to confirm that he can't. She says to go ahead and go out with his girl. He says teeth it is then. Boy, what a charmer, Doris Classic. Yeah. Boy, I, that was wow. a, a real prize, that one. Yeah. I mean, look, we all did things we weren't proud of during the war. Well, Good lord. Yeah. At the edge of the park, Martle watches Baby Daddy kiss Doris Classic on the cheek and walk off. And Doris Classic walks back towards Martle, then realizes she still has the photograph of the shame baby in her purse. So she pulls it out and runs after Baby Daddy, and then gets hit by a fucking truck and dies. Just boom! Yeah. Immediately! Yeah. What? Yeah. How, how, that truck was going way too fast for that neighborhood. It was. I mean, that was an intersection. Mm-hmm. Like, how, the, it was... Oh, my God. It uh, What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, as we're all reeling from that <laughs> having fucking happened, a policeman knocks on the door of Grove House. Inside, Grove is teaching his flock of ginger children. He answers the door and sees Margaret holding a crying shame baby. He smiles for a second and then sees her expression and the cop asks what it is. Martle just shakes her head and then Grove takes the baby, blackout, credits, end of episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I did not see that no, coming at all. Not at all. Not even, I mean, clearly, Doris Classic. <laughs> right. But that, yeah, absolutely just out of nowhere. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So I, uh... Uh, so it looks like probably Martle and Grove are going to bang again. And I'm really disappointed because yeah. I was like, I wouldn't say I was like shipping it exactly, but like I was way more down with it, like in a situation where like Miss Martle was like going to bang him and then be like, peace out. Have fun with Doris Classic, who's still my best friend. Right. Like a revenge fuck situation. Yeah. Not a like, you know, shame baby crying in the bathtub oriented <laughs> revenge. It's not even revenge anymore. It's just no. going to be like, oh, I guess now I can have this life that I always thought I wanted. Like, and I just yeah, hope they, they don't go there. be like, well, I guess her spouses keep dying. So yeah, just ugh, please don't go there. Eyeliner. No. Please don't. No. 
Anyway. Yeah. Be that as it may, that brings us to the Selfridge Awards, a.k.a. the selfies. Mm-hmm. First up, we have Nailing It. And we went ahead and went with Nunu Gordon on this one. Yeah, because he may never nail anything again. <laughs> right. But, and it was, you know, it was inadvertent. It was not well-planned nailing it. But, hey, it all came out roses. He played it off, so good and, job. you know, if and that's the Selfridge promise is taking bad decisions and having them work out for you. Yeah. So... Next up, we have the stick poke. Oh, hands down. Dora's classic getting taken out by a motherfucking truck. Yeah. I mean, that's in the history of our podcast. The most shocking death there's ever been. Yeah. I think. I think you're right. I mean, because it's almost cartoonish, except that it works. Yeah. It's weird how, like, it does work. It, it, it's, it's, there's very, no buildup. Well, and I think it's because, I think it's because Selfridge doesn't really do those melodrama things very often. No, it, it really doesn't, doesn't go to that well much. No, and not like that. I mean, that's very matter of fact. Yeah, know? yeah. Anyway, yeah, Doris Classic. Like, R.I.P., man. No. We're going to miss your, you know, dumb nose. <laughs> Next up, we have Window Worthy. And that goes to Gary Oldman's rotating tree display. Which was pretty, like, innovative or whatever yeah. for its time. And, the you know, the colors were all nice, all mm-hmm. the autumn stuff. And, you know, the other window we saw was those knickers, mm-hmm. which were not appealing. Yeah, they just were knickers in a window. Right. There wasn't- How much are those niggers <laughs> in the window? <laughs> Two pounds fifty and your reputation. <laughs> and then finally we have the eyeliner scale of eyeliner for the episode. And we're going to go with pencil. Yeah. Uh, there was, you know, really the less time we can spend on Wizwaz and Sergey, the better. But, yeah, you know, even that wasn't too bad. That wasn't too bad this week. And to me, the problem was... That resolution with Sergeant Runty that was just... It was a bit like, bleh. Yeah. But, you know, hopefully it is a resolution. I would be happy to not return to that particular well. Yeah. Myself. Like, it was it was fun and all, but mm-hmm. let's let's see what Loxley's got up his sleeve next time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, that was that recap. You know, we're chugging right along here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's shaping up to be an interesting back half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, regardless of my personal qualms with Josie and Grove getting back together, like, it's going to be interesting. Because, like, does she tell him about Shame Baby? Right. Like, how how's that all going to work out? Yeah. I mean, is Baby Daddy going to, like... I mean, he saw the whole thing. Yeah. Is he going to show up at the funeral and cause a scene? Right, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, pro tip. Never cause a scene at a funeral. Yeah. Like, there's better times and places than a funeral to mm-hmm. cause a scene. Like a wedding, for instance. Yeah. See, that's fine. Yeah, nobody's dead. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so that's it for us. Tighten your belts. 